Hey, good morning, you guys. Welcome to New Hope Community Church, where we're all about loving Jesus, discipling people, and serving the community. And if this is your first time, we just want to say thank you so much for sharing your worship experience with us. And we believe each one that's sitting in the chairs this morning is here for a purpose, that God has a purpose for you and for your life. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? And as you open your Bibles, you don't have it, you could go ahead and open the bulletins. We're going to be talking about resurrection and community. Resurrection and community. And if you've been attending church these past two weeks, you know that we're going through a three-month book series on the book of James. Now, James, as we all know, is the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, Jesus, being the older brother, has always been, I mean, he is the son of God. So, I, you know, and, you know, Mary and Joseph, they were humans. And they probably, you know, they have a sinful nature. And they probably favored Jesus a little bit more. And, uh, and I get it. You know, my, I'm the youngest of four children. And I have oldest sister, and I have two older brothers, and they were like straight overachievers. They just made my life a living misery, especially going through school. Uh, whether it was from high school, where my oldest brother, Joby, you know, he was a straight A student, he was a valedictorian, he was a homecoming king, got a straight scholarship to Harvard, and went to Yale and Princeton and Berkeley. And then I went to Bible college, and my older brother, middle brother, Joel, you know, he got straight A's. He was in the academic dean's list. And all my teachers would just look at me like, really? You're Dangana? And I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? Right? And, and I get it. And so if you could imagine James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, and now you have to live up to the son of the living God, right, embodiment of God himself who took on skin and bones, the incarnation of God himself, and you got to follow along. But here's the crazy thing. Scripture points that James didn't really believe in Jesus, that he was the son of God. You know why? Because in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, not even his own brothers believed that he was the son of God. In fact, later on, it says that his brothers tried to seize him. They tried to capture him. It's like, hey, what are you doing? Why do you say that you're God? You're a little, you're our half-brother. I know you're the oldest and everything, but you're not God. Like, what's wrong with you? And that's because that's what half-brothers do. That's what siblings do. You don't think you're deity. And that's what happens when your half-brother starts proclaiming that he is God in the flesh. Yet, about the time of Jesus' death, James pushes all his chips in and says, you know what, this half-brother of mine who I tried to institutionalize, we tried to seize him and put him into a mental ward because he's saying he's God. He is God. That I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and of God. You know, all the things that I said about Jesus not being God, I take it all back. He is God because you know what happened? Two things. The crucifixion of Jesus happened. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus happened. 
here's what convinces your half-brother that you're from God, that you die and that you were buried for three days and you stay that way. And on the third day, he shows up and he eats with them. And do you see how Jesus talks about, how James talks about Jesus? That he, man, he's, I'm a servant. I'm his servant. And James, you know, you know how you know the resurrection is real, the resurrection of Jesus? He went from a skeptic, not believing in Jesus, wanting to institutionalize him, but after the crucifixion, a very public crucifixion, and after the resurrection, James becomes a, one of the great leaders of the church in the Jerusalem churches, but also this, check this out. When Christians were being persecuted, James was martyred for his faith. Josephus says that they brought James, the half-brother of Jesus, and told him, hey, recant, say Jesus is not Lord. But James like, I seen him die, and he rose from the dead. And said, recant. Josephus says, and they pushed James from the top of the cliff on the, uh, on the mount in Jerusalem, and he fell down. Somehow he survives, and he's left standing and said, say Jesus is not Lord, say Jesus is not God. He goes, I've seen his death, I've seen his resurrection, I will not recant. So they literally beat him with a club over his death, and he would not recant. Why? Because he knew the, the resurrection of Jesus proved that he was the Son of God. And, and so let's go to our text. If we could all stand together, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read here what the gospel is all about. Just to give you a heads up, verse 3, if you want to know what is the most succinct, pithy statement of what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. I'll go ahead and read. You could follow along. For what I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. Verse 1, he talked about the gospel. What is the gospel that he received? That Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Verse 7, then the resurrected Jesus appeared to who? James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, Paul is speaking. This is the word of the Lord, let's pray. Father, we pray, O oh God, for your Holy Spirit to quicken our minds, to transform our hearts. As we read from our devotions yesterday, O oh Lord, in Ezekiel, that when you restore your people, that you're going to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Lord, that our, work, that our hearts, Lord, would be receptive. Our hearts would be fertile ground to welcome your word as truth. Lord, as we see the importance of re resurrection and community put together, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us strength, Lord, to live out in community. Lord, give us, Lord, a mind, Lord, to understand, Lord, your simple truth, O oh Lord God. 
And would you transform us? Would you change us for your glory, for our good? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, you could tell a lot about a person by how they spend their time, right? You could tell a lot about an individual person or people in, and their priorities and how they spend their time. You know, people usually say, oh, love is spelled T-I-M-E, time. But may I propose to you this morning that you could sense and you could gain people's priority in how they spend their time. Now, in church calendar, there's this thing called Easter Tide. What Easter Tide is that from after Easter, the Resurrection Sunday to the day of Pentecost, there's 50 days. All right? And what that means is that you could discern and see and know who Jesus is and how he spent his time here on earth in the 50 days that he had. Let me ask you, if you were Jesus and you just raised from the dead, how would you spend your time here on earth? How are you going to advance the gospel or the kingdom of God? And you could do whatever you wanted in 50 days as the resurrected and victorious king over the world. How would you spend your time? How come Jesus didn't go to Rome, go to the gladiatorial arena with his glorified body that cannot be hurt? I mean, he walked through walls and fight in the arena and say, are you not entertained? I am Jesus, the son of the living God. Did Jesus do that? No. How come Jesus didn't have a big old evangelistic crusade and get the nearest rock band there? Why didn't he stand in front of the Caesar of his day, a public forum, to confront Pontius Pilate and say, you thought you were, you thought you were the Lord? I am the Lord. Look at my resurrected body. Bend the knee and let show everybody who the real Christ is. How come Jesus didn't do like a healing spectacle, healing crusades and gathered masses and hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people? How come Jesus didn't do that? You know, if I think if it were more if it was up to most evangelical pastors, we would tell Jesus, "Hey, here's how to do a strategic evangelism. Let's run out uh, Aloha Stadium." Let's get Tim Tebow, and maybe let's get Lecrae so we could get the hip-hop crowd, and maybe we could get U2, or, or we could get Bono, and then we could get thousands, and we could get the whole crusade, and we'll reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But Jesus didn't do any of those things. May I submit to you this morning that Jesus spent his time after the, being the resurrected Lord that his time spent here on earth reveals not only his priority, but his heart of what is the most important to his movement. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the main idea, here's the big point. The resurrected Jesus prioritized community through personal relationships. Yes, he appeared to 500, but we're going to see three different types of people that Jesus ministered to. 
that the resurrected Jesus, he prioritized community, how? Through personal relationships. Which means this, that Jesus pursued people over programs. Can I get an amen? That Jesus chose relationships over results. That he intentionally loved his followers. That he pursued relationships and he restored a community of faith that would carry out his mission to the world. So how do we know that Jesus prioritized community through personal relationships? Number one, would you write down that Jesus intentionally pursues those who are disappointed and disillusioned? The first category of people, individuals that Jesus pursued were those who were disappointed in their faith and that they were disillusioned in their understanding of God. How do we know that? Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it's a recount of the Resurrection Sunday. And let's jump down to verse 13. It's on your notes. It says, that very day, what very day? The very day that Jesus rose from the dead, two people, not 200, not two dozen, not 2,000, two people <laughs> were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing with each other, Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, didn't hold a crusade. He talked to two people. He appeared to them as they were walking a seven-mile journey from Emmaus to Jerusalem. Now, if you're wondering, Emmaus, why Emmaus? There was a book by William Weir called 50 Battles That Changed the World. Can anybody guess what number 20 battle changed the world forever? The Battle of Emmaus. Now, what happened in the Battle of Emmaus? Judas was the leader for Israel and Jerusalem. He fought against the Syrian forces. Okay? And what Judas was able to do, not Judas Iscariot, all right, a different Judas. Can I get that straight? All right? And he was a political leader, and then people were thinking of him like almost like a messiah. He's going to save us. He saved us from the Assyrian army. They were outnumbered, and Judas used um, just, polit not political, but maneuvered and tactics and different ways to approach, and he defe defeated the much bigger Assyrian army. And if you could understand this, these two people... They put, they heard about Jesus. They, ha, huh, they just came from, they were going to Jerusalem. They just came from Emmaus. Why Emmaus? Emmaus was the last time that there was a successful Messiah. And they heard about Jesus. They understood, they, they trying to gather information. Man, actually in Luke 24, it says, man, I thought he would be the one to rescue Israel. So these two guys go back to the place where there was a one, the last successful Messiah. 
They went back to the last place where Messiah successfully achieved victory the way that they wanted it, that they wanted victory. And here comes Jesus. He was supposed to be the great liberator, and they were disenchanted. They were disenfranchised, and they were disappointed. They're like, oh, man, we thought Jesus was going to be the guy who would set us free. Ah. And here comes Jesus, and he talks with them, two people. I think some of us here this morning are at this place of disappointment with Jesus. I think some of us, we want to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to say yes to God so that God could change our situation. Yet maybe God is in your life not to change your situation, but to change you and to change your heart. Maybe you receive Jesus to change your circumstance, but maybe God is here to change your character and to fill you with this Holy Spirit. Maybe you come to God because you hope that Jesus would bless you and make you rich, but he has come so that you could place and anchor your hope in, in him, not in the fleeting emptiness of riches. Some of us here were disillusioned because we tried to go to church before. And maybe someone said something and we got toasty and we got burnt and we got injured. And maybe there was a relationship at the church that kind of hurt you and you're just disappointed and disillusioned and disenfranchised, not only with church, but people. And you're just like, maybe you're coming here this morning and you're just like, oh, I don't know about this church stuff, man. I don't know. You don't, could I just say this up front? <laughs> this church will disappoint you. <laughs> I will disappoint you. Your family will disappoint you. You know why? Because we're all people. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. We put our faith in Jesus, not people. Can I get an amen? amen? And here comes Jesus. He's ministering to people who are disenfranchised. He points them to scriptures and how that he would not bring an earthly kingdom, but he will bring a spiritual kingdom. And maybe you're disenfranchised with the church. Could you listen carefully? If you've been injured, if you've been abused, if you've been exploited, hear from the bottom of my heart and the authority of God's word, I am truly sorry. The church is truly sorry for any grievances that's caused you, but don't put your trust and your hope don't find your Messiah in the church. You find it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God wants to heal you so that you don't put your trust and hope in people or in church, but you would place your hope in him. Secondly, would you write down that Jesus intentionally pursues those who are skeptical and had doubts? Jesus didn't have a crusade, but he met skeptics and he pursued them. John chapter 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And would you write this down, underline it? 
write it down on your phone. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know you have more of a blessing because you have not seen and felt and touched the physical Jesus, but you put your faith in Christ and his resurrection? You know, Thomas gets a bad rap, but I think in his heart of hearts, he really wanted to believe, but he simply could not believe. He was sincere, but he could not bring himself to a place of belief. We have this profound moment here where, Tom, where Jesus ministers to Thomas to what Thomas exactly needs. That Jesus gives Thomas proofs of his resurrection that enabled him to believe and to worship God. There's some of you here right now that are struggling or battling with the intellectual honesty of resurrection. Jesus died of a virgin birth, a virgin birth really, and he died for three days and he resurrected from the dead. If you're intellectually honest, as I hope we all are, you know, scholars, the very brightest and best scholars, they have four theories of why the resurrection didn't really happen. One of the theories is that the disciples stole the body. Are you kidding me? Like these ragtag fishermen somehow snuck in the guard with a Roman praetorian, stole the body, and hid it. That's why there's no proof of his body. A second theory is called the swoon theory. That Jesus was, he didn't really die, that he just swooned, right? That he was just like, all the blood loss and all the pain, that he just, he, he thought he died, and people thought he died, but he was really alive Really? After they bandaged him, after they pierced the sides and water came out? Okay. Other theories are like they, the disciples just straight up lied. Why would you give your life? Why would the disciples martyred, suffered excruciating death? Peter, who Jesus appeared to after denying him, he said, you know what? You're going to crucify me? Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. You got James, his brother. If you, if you live with someone, you really know who they are. Can I get an amen? Right? And James is like, yeah, throw me down this cliff. Jesus is God. I've seen his resurrected body. And here comes Thomas. He's like, Jesus, please, I, I want to believe. He's like, okay, here, touch my side. And maybe you're thinking about the inerrancy of Scripture. Maybe you're thinking about science and faith and apologetics. Maybe you're thinking about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and the gospel. May I encourage you this morning, come before the Lord and bring your doubts to Jesus. Come to him in faith. Be like the disciples said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I really want to believe, so Lord, help me to believe. And if you come before the Lord objectively, you're going to see that the resurrection of Jesus is the very foundation of the Christian faith. Thirdly, we'll go ahead and close with this, is that Jesus intentionally pursues those who have failed, and he confronts failure with grace. Not only the disappointed and disenfranchised, 
not only those who had doubts and those who are skeptics, but those who failed Jesus, he personally pursued them and confronted their failure with his grace. And for that, we'll turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 6. And this is the angel talking. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place or the tomb where they laid him. It's empty. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and who else? Peter, that he's going before you to Galilee. You see how how Jesus instructed the angel, make sure to let Peter know that I'm here for him. Let Peter know that I'm okay. We see here the life of Peter where he, when Jesus first looked at him in the eye and said, come follow me, and Peter dropped everything. What what did Peter do before that? He was a fisherman. This is what he knew. This is what he understood. This is what his default was. This is what he was comfortable with. But he denied Jesus three times. He basically committed apostasy. And he, he denied Jesus, and Jesus probably looked at him in the, you know the crazy thing is? Where did, Jesus, where did Peter deny Jesus? In the courtyard at a distance? Over what? A charcoal of fire. What happens in a charcoal of fire? Like a campfire. What happens in a campfire? Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. What happens at a campfire? S'mores, can I get an amen? We get s'mores in the campfire, we have singing, we have hugging, we have laughter, we have hot cocoa, we have coffee, we have tea. We love the campfire, something that's supposed to be intimate, something that's supposed to be joyful. That is the place where Peter denies Jesus and failed him. In John chapter 21, Jesus goes to see Peter and the rest of the disciples. And they've been fishing all night. They couldn't catch anything. Jesus is throwing the other side. So they threw the other side. They had all this fish, and the, the boat was about to sink. And, and as they were coming in, guess what Jesus had? A campfire. Charcoal of fire with bread and fish. Now, I've been to Jerusalem don't want to spoil it, don't want to over-spiritualize this, but the fish that they probably had was tilapia. <laughs> they call it St. Peter's fish. But uh, in Jerusalem, that's what we ate. In Israel, we ate tilapia. And it was just like, oh, it's not too bad. It kind of, just don't think of alawai. Don't think of alawai, and you'll be okay. <laughs> but you see here, the grace of Jesus Something as simple as a campfire that's supposed to bring intimacy and closeness and relationship became a place and a reminder of his failure, of his denial before the Lord. But Jesus redeems that. You know, something as great as a marriage 
it's supposed to be two becoming one. No man whom God put together, let no man separate. And maybe some of you here, you've gone through the pain of divorce. You've gone through the pain of separation. Maybe you've gone through marital unfaithfulness. And when you think about marriage, it's supposed something that's supposed to be close and intimate. It brings you shame and doubt and hurt, heartache. Could I tell you that Jesus redeems that? That Jesus tells, hey, it's in this charcoal of fire. I'm going to cover you with my grace. Something as meaningful as family that's supposed to be a place where you're loved unconditionally is maybe the place where you are. When you think of family, you think of fist being thrown. You think of yelling. You think of heartache. You think of police coming to your house. And it's a place of brokenness. But Jesus wants to tell you right now that he wants to redeem even your marriage, even your family, even your parenting. He confronts your failure. This is what happened, but I'm going to cover you with my grace. Tell the disciples and Peter that I'm coming, that it's all good, that my grace covers, my love covers a multitude of sins. Holy Spirit reminder that I'm out of time. All right. We know it's the Holy Spirit if it was a dove, right? But so where are you at this morning? Are you disillusioned? Are you disappointed? Are you disenfranchised with what it means to follow Jesus? Hey, Jesus is pursuing you right now. He brought you to this place. He lured you with shave ice, cotton candy, and mokey boy, but Jesus is pursuing you. Maybe some of you here have doubts. Maybe science. Maybe there's some college students here and your professors are telling you one thing and maybe you've been rocked in your faith. Bring your doubts before the Lord. Study about the resurrection of Jesus. And you'll come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe some of you here this morning, you're, you've failed God. Like, Lord, what happened to the calling that you put in my life? I blew it. I messed up. There's no recovering from this. By the authority of God's word, the grace of Jesus covers your failure. The love of God covers a multitude of your sins. God can redeem whatever you came in here that's been broken. God can redeem that. Jesus will redeem that. Hebrews says, if you come to him, we must come to him as he is, meaning that he is God, that he created something out of complete nothing, that God is good, that his providence for you, his providence for your life, you made it this point in your life and you're still standing. God has had his hand on you your entire life. He knew you from the womb. And Jesus is pursuing you. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, might I remind you that religion is spelled D-O. It's what you can do for God because sin has created a chasm between you and God. So you pursue relationship with God 
that you're trying to get close to God, you're trying to go to church, you're trying to do good, you're trying to tithe, you're trying to serve. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not spelled D-O, like things you got to do. Jesus spells relationship D-O-N-E, done. That the chasm between you and God has been brought together through his death and through his resurrection. That you are not just a number to God, that God knows you by name. He intentionally pursues you. State of Hawaii knows you by your social security number. DMV knows you by your driver's license number. Your bank knows you by, by your bank account number. Jesus knows you by name. And he calls you, son, daughter, it's time to come home. I love you with an everlasting love. It's time for you to experience abundant life. And so with all heads bowed and eyes closed, and if you want to receive Jesus, if you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and you want to receive him into your life, would you go ahead and raise your hand this morning? Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody else? We'll wait a couple more, more, more moments. the most eternal decision that you can make. Yeah, could you all pray after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Jesus, I believe in you. That you lived a perfect life that I could never live. That you died my death on the cross that I deserved. And that you are resurrected so that I can have eternal life. Jesus, come into my life. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So Jesus, save me from my sin. Thank you for paying for the penalty of sin. But save me from the power of sin. And be my Lord. You are my God, Jesus. I will follow you. I will love you. I will obey you. So seal me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.